You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings this morning, chapter 3. We'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 15. And before we get there, I just want to make a shout-out. This should be included. It's a shout-out to all the folks who actually do listen to the messages who are shut-ins, who can't get here. And what a blessing it is when they have that opportunity, and they listen to all the time, every week. And so shout-out to the folks who do that from our church that aren't here this morning. I especially think of Alice Mast, who can't be here, who appreciates that so much. So thank you, folks, for listening. And we, we do love and appreciate you, and so thankful for this ministry. All right, enough said about that. 1 Kings chapter 3, let's look together at verses 1 through 15. This morning, I I have, my intention is to preach uh, through this text. I know we've been here for a long time, and I wish I could say to you that we're almost done. We'll be here again for at least two more messages, I I think. And this morning, I'm going to talk about David's example. We'll see it in the text. A divided heart and a devoted Savior. And I won't finish until tonight. What I mean by that is, I mean, we're not going to start now and go until tonight. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that what we're going to do is, I'm going to break it up, and I'm not sure if we're going to do one and two, points one and two, or one and three, or two and three, or just one. So, uh, I say all that to say, there's a lot here. We've been talking about not just seeing the text, but observing the text. I'm not trying to pull out something that's not there, but seeing what God has for us, there's a reason this is Scripture. And it's been given to us and preserved for us. And so let's look together. 1 Kings chapter 3, starting at verse number 1. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he has walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now... O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people, that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord, 
that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast thou asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but thou hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment, behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Have you ever done that, that you had a dream, and then all of a sudden you wake up and think, ah, that was just a dream. Sometimes it's like, Whew, that was just a dream. And other times, it's like, oh, it was just a dream. And Solomon wakes up, it's like, oh, it was just a dream. And he came up to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of things I want you to notice from our text this morning. Here's the first thing. I want you to notice David's example. The, the first time I read this passage, and, and that was weeks ago now, maybe months ago, something struck me as very odd. I, I read down in verse number three, and Solomon loved the Lord. That, that didn't strike me as odd. I mean, the, the narrator told us this. We believe this because the narrator has this helicopter view. Right? He is all-knowing when he's telling us what's happened. Solomon loves the Lord, no doubt about it. And then he tells us the proof of Solomon loving the Lord. But what amazed me is the next statement, walking in the statutes of David his father. Because here's what I expect. If I were to say to you, you should walk in the statutes of, or the commandments of, or the law of, what would our response be to that? God, the Lord. A matter of fact, this is what... Moses said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. He's speaking to them before he walks off the planet. He says, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments. So so Moses says, listen, If you're going to walk, if you're going to live, here's how you ought to live. You ought to live by following God's laws, God's statutes, God's judgments, his ways. But Solomon is said here to love the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Solomon followed the example of David, who was walking in the statutes of the Lord. And some interesting things, at least for me, I want to share with you about David. And again, you know and I know David was not perfect. We'll talk about that in a moment. David had his issues and David had his problems. But listen how David prayed for his son in 1 Chronicles 29.19. And give unto Solomon my son a perfect heart. Now watch. To keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for the which I have made provision. Okay, so David says, this is my son, 
And, and God, here's my, here's my prayer for my child, which is kind of instructive for us. I wonder how we pray for our children. How do we pray for our grandchildren? Do we pray for our children or our grandchildren? And David says, my prayer is that Solomon's heart will be perfect and he will follow your ways. He'll follow your laws. He'll follow your judgments. God, I know what's best for him and what's best for him is to follow you. Now watch what God tells Solomon. 2 Chronicles 7, 17. And Solomon has just dedicated the temple. It's a glorious time. The glory of the Lord fills it. God is pleased. Verse 17 of chapter 7, the Lord speaking to Solomon. As for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and shall observe my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruler over Israel. I find it interesting this morning that Solomon is prayed for to keep God's laws and his commandments. The Lord tells him, Solomon, follow the example, the pattern of David. And here the writer tells us that Solomon is walking in the statutes of the Lord. And so what I find interesting here is that the writer tells us that David is walking in the statutes, in the custom, in the commands, or or Solomon is walking like his father walked. That was Solomon's example. And there's something in David's life and his love for the Lord that is transferred to Solomon, that Solomon saw and understood, and as he followed this example, the Lord was pleased with that. Pleased with that. There was something about David's love, his devotion, his sincerity, his desire. Now listen to me. We all know David's story. We're not talking about his failure. We know his failure. Do we not? Not only do we know it, think of this. His failure has been recorded for centuries for everyone to see and know. You think of David, and unfortunately we don't think of Goliath first. Maybe some of us do or dancing before the Lord and bringing the ark in and his love and the sweet psalmist of Israel, usually we say David and we think Bathsheba. We know his sin. And this this one sin of David's, honestly, it changed his life forever. You, You read after this in David's life, it was a disaster. Listen to me, this should be a warning to us. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but not always the consequences of our behavior. You, better, you can mock and you can laugh when, when, when someone preaches the word and says, listen, I'm warning you, stay away, be careful. But I'm telling you something, there are consequences that we will experience even though Christ forgives us, right? And David's there. He, he understands this. And yet, when he's confronted with his sin by Nathan, He repents. He says, I've sinned. Psalm 51, we see it. It's beautiful. And David did have a heart to follow God. He was a human being. He was a man. He blew it. He failed. But in his heart, 
Solomon picks this up, that there was a desire, a love, a passion for God. And so Solomon does okay following David's example in this area because David is following the Lord. Years ago, and it's years ago now. And I keep on, I say that more and more as I get older. Years ago, and, and it, the years are years ago. There was a show called Nanny 911. Do you remember, how many folks do you remember that show? Okay? Interesting show. Uh, and the idea was that there were these children that were just out of control. And the truth is, if you watch the show, it was the parents who were out of control. And so they would call Nanny 911, and I saw the one where a British gal came, and she was really on it. She'd march in, you know, and she'd do her deal, and uh, she would fix everything. And I can remember vividly watching the show and really being angry. Like, angry enough that I yelled at the television set. And I, and I remember one episode clearly where there was a little girl, and she was about four years old, and her mother had asked her to do something that she was just not going to do and so she told her mother no, and then she, she um, proceeded to slap and kick her mother up the stairs into the washroom. And as her mother, who was probably a 30-year-old woman, was in the washroom, she was laying on the floor in the fetal position crying as her 4-year-old was slapping her and yelling at her and kicking her, by the way. By the way, that's not normal. If that's going on in your place? Okay. That's insane that a four-year-old is making an adult woman cower in her washroom by a porcelain toilet. Okay, that's, that's not right. And, and it made me so very angry to watch it. And it's like, I can't stand that kid. And it's like, I can't stand those parents. And for the life of me, I could not understand any of it until I realized, truly realized, um, after some counseling, that, um, that these parents really did not know what they were doing. They, they, they were clueless. And for many of them, it wasn't necessarily their fault on being clueless. They either grew up in a home that was this authoritarian, you'll do this, and they rebelled against that, so they went the permissive route that anything goes and don't rock the boat, and that's what they ended up in, or they grew up in dysfunction themselves. Can I tell you something? There is no home without dysfunction. Not yours, not mine. We're all broken, man. We're all broken. And there's dysfunction everywhere. Some of you folks have a market on it. I mean, you, you've got it down, right? But we're all dysfunctional. And here are these parents that they really did not know. And what they needed, they needed someone to come in and say, listen, this is how you do this. This is an example for you to follow. And the amazing thing happened. I mean, I, I think with almost every episode, probably you don't know the bad ones that turned out, that didn't turn out, where the kid killed their parents. But the other ones... The other ones that turned out, it's like, no, the parents got it, the kids were nice, and then you start to like them again. You know, they play this roller coaster right with your emotions, like, oh, I can't stand them, oh, I love them all, right? And, and so, so it worked that they had an example to look at and to follow, and, and it, it was what they needed. Listen, there are lots of ways to learn in this world, lots of ways to learn. One of the most powerful ways to learn anything is by example, Right? By example, 
your character isn't so much taught as it is caught. Example. I mean, that's how it actually begins with all of us. You, you have this newborn baby that we bring home. And, and what, what you try to do, or at least what most parents do, is you want, to be the, you want them to say your name first. And so the father gets them and says, da, 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 da. Right? So, honey, and the kid goes, Rah. he said, da, da. He just said it. Or mama, or no. Right? The first, the first words that they learn is no. Why? They hear it over and over and over again. It's example. We understand this. It's how life works. Um, when our boys were younger, I think it was, it was either Greg or AJ. I don't know. David wasn't around yet. But, but years ago, I had this idea that you could drive down a country road, and if you had something that was biodegradable, like an orange or an apple or a banana peel, which I just learned banana peels are really not biodegradable. They, they don't. So when you throw a banana peel, they just stay there. Is that right, Andrew? Yes, that's right. He told me that. Um, so, so, but I just thought, you know, you throw it out the window in the country because animals could eat it, and, and it would just biodegrade, and it would be a problem. I since learned, probably like last week, that that's not a good idea. Tony, Grant is here. He's an OPP guy. Tony, is it legal to throw out, like, apples and oranges on the highway? It's not. Is there, like, a statute of limitations for... Hope not. Uh, anyways, I know this guy, and he was doing that, and um, and so so I, I had I had one of the boys with me in the seat, or this guy did, and so I I did it. It, it was it was like forty years ago, and so so I threw this banana out the window. Not I didn't think anything about it. Oh, it was a banana peel. Threw out the window, and we were in the country. and thought that's great. The squirrels will eat it, and it'll probably great, and whatever. And then, and then, like, three days later, that same boy was with me in the car, and as we're driving, we had, like, this McDonald's bag. And I see him roll the window down and just chuck this garbage right out the window. And it was like, what in the world? I, I was really, what are you doing? I mean, you're going to get me arrested. I didn't know about the other stuff, but you're going to get me arrested on this. This is a bad deal, right? And he looked at me and said, Dad, you did it yesterday with your banana peel example. And we get this. And we learn by this. It's the same with our Christian walk. Now, there are lots of ways to learn as a believer. But one of the most powerful ways to learn is by example. There was something in David's life that Solomon looked at and Solomon followed. It's his passion, his love, his desire, that it did please the Lord, because in this context, David was walking after God's statutes. And when Solomon walked like David, he was in turn walking after God's statutes. Listen to what the Bible says to us in Ephesians chapter 1 as far as examples go. Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, verse number 1. Paul speaking to the church says very clearly, be, therefore, followers of God as dear children. Now, now, just think about that statement for a minute. This is, this is not a suggestion. He's saying to you and to me this morning, to all believers, hey, be a follower of God like dear children. God is your father, so follow him. Which sounds really good until you think, okay, wait a minute, what does that mean? 
God, a spirit, worship in spirit and truth, follow him. What does that look like? And we can have some ideas, but Paul does a great thing for us. We don't have to guess what it looks like. Look at verse number two. He goes on to say, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. God says, here's how we grow, man. Paul says, follow God as your children. If you're not really sure what that looks like, then, then walk like Christ walked. Because we know what that looks like. And so God says, I've given you an example. We're not doing this on our own. We're not making stuff up. You, as dear children of God, walk like your older brother, your Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him does all. He is our example. And so God says, hey, follow me, come after me, look at my example. And if you are you fuzzy on this, look at Jesus Christ. He walked in love. And he calls us to do that. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. And, and, and this is God's grace to us this morning. It, it, the, the Bible is not vague, or I'm not sure. The, the part of the Bible we have problems with is the, problem we do, the part we do understand and don't do. The, the Bible is very clear. Listen, walk as God walked. Follow Jesus Christ. It's, it's easy to do. And then it goes on to tell us that believers help us with this. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1. And remember Corinth, okay? Here's a church that they were spiritually immature, they were babies, and they were worldly. A matter of fact, you know, you think churches have problems, and they do. And our church has problems. We have issues. We have to deal with All churches have problems. But Corinth was so bad that if you were a businessman in the first century and you say, hey, Paul, I'm going to be in Corinth next week on a business trip. Can you think of any good churches? Paul would say to you, oh, you know what? You might be better off staying at home watching something on TV. Because that church, they come together, it's not for the better. It's for the worse. I'm not exaggerating. It was, it was a mess. They were people who had spiritual gifts, and they were spiritually babies, which is really dangerous. Don't go boasting about your spiritual gifts. How about you boast about love? You want to boast about something. That's 1 Corinthians 13, by the way. You can look at that later. But Paul says to this church, chapter 11, verse 1, Hey, immature. Hey, worldly. Hey, babies in your faith. Follow me as I follow Christ. And listen, it's, it's not this blind faith where it's like, okay, just follow the leader. No, I want to know where you're going. I want to know who you're following. And if you're not following Christ, there is no sense following at all. And you say, well, that's just Paul. Well, it's not just Paul. This was Paul's way of life. This was his, it was his mode of working in the church. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse number 9. And we saw this in our Bible study last week. He said, 
those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. The God of peace shall be with you. That's how Paul operated. Paul said, listen, I am living this thing out in front of you. You can see it clearly. And so as you have learned and received and heard and seen, you do this. You follow me as I follow Christ. And just so that you're still thinking, yeah, that's Paul again, that's Paul again. It's Paul, that's not me, that's not you. Well, I'm glad you asked the question. First Thessalonians 1.6, Paul speaking to believers now. And you became followers of us, plural. Not just Paul, his workers, his co-laborers who were following Christ. He says to the Thessalonian church, you became followers of us. We live this out before you. And again, listen to me. I'm not talking of perfection. It does not exist. But I'm talking about men and women who have a heart for God, and they pursue and they follow. And when they fall, they get up. And when they fail, they repent. That's what I'm talking about. And, and Paul says, you have become followers of us. And then he goes on. And of the Lord, because we're following him having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now look at verse 7. So that ye, you now, are examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Did you see what's happening here? Follow God as dear children. Look to Christ. Here are men and women who are following Christ, who can say with all passion and sincerity and Follow me as I follow Christ. And people begin to follow Christ. And as they do, they become examples for others. My friend, this is the beauty and design of the church of Jesus Christ. This attitude this morning that the church is not important, that I'm going to worship in the woods, that I can do my own thing, it's a lie. It's a lie. The church is important, so much so that Jesus Christ died for her. His blood was shed for her. And he's given the church so that we can look, we can come together, we can worship him, we can encourage one another, and we can be examples. Examples. This morning, if you want to know how to be a strong, mature believer in Christ, then I say to you this morning, Look around. Do you want to know how this Christian life is worked out? Then look around. We have saints who have been following Christ for years. Some 150. 150 years. That's a long time. Right? Now, now the 150 is an exaggeration. But I look around this auditorium and I see men and women who have followed Christ. And I don't have to guess on what it looks like. I see it before me. You want to know this morning what a Christian marriage looks like? Quit, quit reading Oprah and Phil and, and everybody. Quit it. Quit it. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. You want to know what a Christian marriage looks like? Then I would say to you, look around. 
Just look around. Learn, receive, hear, and see. 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Right? You don't have to guess on this. Look at the body of Christ. And again, those 60-year folks and 50-year folks and 40-year folks, if they're honest and they have to be, if they've lasted that long, will tell you, hey, it wasn't a walk in the park. It was really hard, but we made a covenant together. And this is what we did when this happened. This is what we did, and we forgave, and we loved, and we, we repented, and we did all these things. Right? Look around. You want to know how to raise kids in a world that's dysfunctional and broken? In 2007, George Barnum did a survey, and the 10 years prior to 2007, 75,000 books were written on parenting. 75,000, the 10 years before 2007. And I guarantee you, most of them were garbage. Most of them were garbage. And I can't even imagine how many books have been written since then. Christian, do you want to know how to raise your children to the best of your ability, gospel-centered, pointing them to Christ? Then look around. We have parents who've raised kids, grandparents who've raised kids, and again, oh, look, at they're all perfect kids. No, they're not. They're just like you and I. They fall, they fail, they stumble, some lose their way. But their parents have been faithful, showing and teaching and living out Christ to their kids. Go see, learn, receive, hear and see. You want to know how to be a Christian single? Live in a world that's immoral? Difficult? Look around. There are people in our church who have done it for over 20 years. Some for 40 years. Loving Christ. Loving his people. You want to know this morning how to deal with suffering and sorrow and pain? How to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? One of the, one of the privileges of pastoring is to walk with people through their pain, their suffering, and their Death. You want to know how to die well? Because we're all dying. We're all dying. At a funeral yesterday in Michigan, folks who mentored Kim and I had brain, a brain tumor three months ago. She's gone. She's gone. And you can pray, heal me, Lord. And, and sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. But eventually, he's not. He's going to take you home. We're going to be lost without him. You want to know how to die well? You want to know how to go through suffering? You want to know how to go through pain? Then I say to you, look around here. We've seen it. We've watched it. We've been amazed by it. This is the body of Christ. And again, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We need saints and believers who just say, follow me. As I follow Christ. The vine clings to the oak, and the weak rest on the strong. This morning when we're weak, of course we cling to our Savior. But he's given us some oaks to cling to as well. We look to Christ as our example, and to believers who are following him to know how to flesh 
this out. And so this morning, uh, here is the million-dollar question. Solomon walked in the statutes of David his father. And it pleased the Lord. And again, you know what I'm talking about. It's David's love, devotion, his zeal for his Savior. So the question this morning is simply this. If someone were walking in your statutes, your customs, your way of life, and by the way, just listen to me, Somebody is. Somebody is. Someone is watching your life. Someone's looking at you, whether it's in your home or outside of your home. And if you're here this morning, say, well, no one loves me. I'm just like that, that, that. You know, you're the kind of person that I'm all by myself. And no one. Then listen, you're an example, too. You are. It's a bad example, but you're an example. You are. We're called to reach out, to love, to be transparent, and all those things. Someone is watching your life. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's other believers in this place. So the question is this. If they're watching your life, if you are the pattern, if you are the example, would it be said of you? Would the Lord say, hey, listen, if you want to know how to do this, follow so-and-so. Look to them. And I'm, hear what I'm saying. Follow Christ. But you want to see how it's fleshed out? Then look to them. Follow their statutes, their way of life as they follow Christ. What would it look like? Would it be the equivalent of following the Lord? Could they look at your life and say, you know what? They're following Christ, therefore I will follow them as they follow Christ. What does your statutes, your walk, your way of life look like? And here's another question for us this morning. Let's just suppose this morning that you were the gold standard. If everyone in this congregation was as spiritual as you are, what would this church look like? If they were as dedicated to the things of Christ, if they prayed like you prayed, if they read like you read, if they went out of their comfort zone to love like you loved, if they were involved like you are involved, if they were invested like you're invested, if they love this place like you love this place, what in the world would the church look like? Thumbs up or thumbs down? I'm not asking you to do it. I'm just asking you to think. What does it look like? And you say this morning, oh, man, oh, my, my stomach just dropped. Thinking about it like this, I know that my walk, right, and, and we said this, I don't know if I said this last week, I'm getting to the point where I'm not sure what I say anymore, and so that's why we record these, but did I say last week, and I've said it before in the past, but I don't know if I said it last week, your talk talks, I didn't say it last week, okay, you know that your talk talks, right, what you say, we hear it. And your walk talks the way you live. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You understand that? It's not, it's not that confusing. I know it sounds. It's not, right? Your talk, what you say, talks. How you live talks. But how you live talks louder than your talk talks. You got that now? It's not that bad. All right. 
you know that to be the truth. I know that to be the truth. And maybe now saying, okay, I get this, I understand this, I am called to follow Christ, and somewhere on this journey, you should be able to say, I don't have it all covered, but follow me as I follow Christ. For young new believers, for new parents, for new grandparents, for people who are struggling. And if this morning your stomach has dropped, and you understand now the magnitude and importance of your life and example and your responsibility has sobered you up a bit. Here's what I don't want this morning. I don't want you to say, oh, no, I've blown it. I'm done. I'm finished. The way I've lived as a Christian man or a Christian woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a single, as a young person, I'm just done. I can't believe it. Now that I see it, I've wasted all of this. That's not what I'm looking for this morning at all. Because God does not want your resignation this morning. He wants your consecration. We need to wake up and to, be, and to shake up and to say, wait a minute, what are we doing? I don't want you to despair this morning. I want you to recover. And I want you to recover now. Today. Right now, you can recover. Why? Because of amazing grace. Because of grace. Because we all fail. We all blow it. We're all bad examples. We all throw banana peels out the window. But we're not going to do it anymore. We, 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 what we do is we say, God, I failed. I've been blowing this thing as a member of a body of believers. And so, Lord, I confess my sin, and you are faithful and just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. This is our God. He is faithful and he is just when we are not. And we ought to praise him for it. We should daily praise him for it to say, God, you are faithful when I am not. You are just when I am not. You are loving when I am not. And the Bible says a righteous man, a righteous woman can fall seven times, but they get up again. And so this morning, I am saying to you, Solomon walked like David, his father, because David was following the Lord. You and I need to walk like Jesus, right? And somewhere down the line in this thing, it should be able to be said of us, and we should be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going to stop there this morning. I, we've got two more parts. We're good. I want to leave you just with a quote that I'll say again tonight. It's by Richard Sibbs. It's just a small, I won't read the whole thing, but I think this might be a good place to end. Richard Sibbs was a Puritan, 1500s, I think. Him, is that right? And he wrote a book called The Bruised Reed. Powerful book. And there are a number of quotes. I'll read a bigger one tonight. But he says this. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And here's what that means. This morning, if you're without Christ, because you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, 
The people in this church who are saved, we are saved sinners. We're all sinners. That sin price, that sin debt must be paid for. And it will be paid for. Either you will pay it or someone else will pay it. And the only someone else who can pay it, paid it. His name is Jesus Christ. He bore the wrath of God. It was poured out on his head for sin for you and for me. And so if I know that and understand that and I quit trying to rebel and, re- and, and say I'm doing it my own way and I repent, I turn to him, I can be saved. So his mercy, Christ's mercy for you this morning is more than our sin. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care about your past and the sins that have piled up. Listen to me. Christ's blood is sufficient. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilt and shame. Thank God for it. There's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. So if you're lost, call out for mercy. Christ saved you. And if you're saved, there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And we come to him this morning as believers who are sinners saved by grace and say, 